Hello and welcome to the Magical Midlife Podcast, where you get a refreshing, uplifting and optimistic perspective on life in your 40s and 50s. I'm your host, Lindsay DeSwart, and I'm delighted that you've joined us here today. So let's jump right in. Hi, welcome to the show today. Today, I'm delighted to introduce you to my guest, Elaine Yuskowski. She is a video gaming addiction speaker, author, and coach, and she shares with us the journey she has walked with her son to get him from his video game addictions to a healthy young man now walking a different path in life. It's really inspirational, and it may well offer you some fantastic tips and insights because this is something that we are all facing more and more of. Okay, so I hope you enjoy the show. So hi, Elaine. How are you today? I'm very well, Lindsay. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Delighted to be here. Well, it's so nice for you to be on here because we've known each other for quite some time and I've seen what you've been up to. And I've got so many questions actually about it. And uh, what you're sharing these days is so valuable. So I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself and then we are going to dig in a little bit more to that. And I'm going to ask you to share your story with us. So, Elaine, tell us a little about yourself. Uh, well, uh, my name is Elaine Yuskoski and I am an author, uh, speaker and family coach for those who are struggling with a video gaming addicted child. I have a background in social service work and holistic health and I sort of combine all of that together. I've been coaching people in health for for 20 years, uh, and due to a lived experience, uh, moved into this uh, business. Blimey. Okay, so we're going to go into that because um, you've also written some books about it, haven't you? I have, yeah. Two. Fantastic. So when we came to see you, Elaine, you're an ir- iridologist, and that was a while ago with, yes. yeah, with one of my sons. So what's changed since then? Well, tell us a bit about that and then what's changed since oh, then. Oh, gosh. Well, 20 years, I have been practicing iridology, um, coaching people in holistic health, uh, both the emotional and the physical aspects of health, uh, and was rolling along with that uh, career when I um, received an SOS email from my son who was away at university, uh, and he was in big time trouble. And uh, as things unfolded, we discovered that he had a severe video gaming addiction. And um, no one was really talking about that. It was back in 2014. There wasn't a lot of support systems. Certainly no one in my circle was discussing it. Uh, and so I had the task ahead of me to help my son in any way I could to save him from this addiction and get him uh, moved towards recovery. Uh, and so in doing uh, that work, which was, you know, a two and a half year progress of detox, relapse, detox, relapse, uh, I was wanting to write a book, honestly, about the transition between parenting your child and parenting your adult child, mm-hmm. because my older son was an adult as well at that time. And I just found it was this very strange limbo period of who am I? You know, your role as a parent is clearly defined from zero to 18. And then they're 18 and they're adults. And you're asking yourself, am I a friend? Am I advisor? Am I parent? Who am I in their life? And they're so busy with their own lives trying to figure out who they are. 
uh, they're not too worried about how you're feeling. Yeah. Uh, and so it got uncomfortable at times. I didn't know what, what I could ask and, you know, what I could say. And so I thought, you know, are other people experiencing this? So I talked to other women my age with kids my age and, you know, everyone said the same thing. It was like walking on eggshells and they weren't sure, you know, who they were and what they were allowed to do or say either. And so I thought, well, I'm going to write a book about that. And then maybe we can start an online forum and we can start sharing this as parents and helping each other through this transition. Uh, and when I received the um, email from my son and learned about his addiction, now I have a 19-year-old adult who's addicted as well. And what kind of transition is that? And do I legally have any rights uh, to get him help? Um, do I let him fall uh, as an adult and, you know, make mistakes and figure it out on his own? Or do I roll up my sleeves and parent him? And, uh, and so I decided to include that in the book because it's part of the same transition. And because there was so little spoken about and written about um, video gaming addiction, that uh, someone who was organizing MindFest, the um, University of Toronto's annual mental health forum, had read my book and said, could you come and speak about that? There's no one talking about this. Wow. So I asked what they needed and they said, well, we need an hour's presentation with PowerPoint. <laughs> I was pretty green on the subject. Had you done in the last five years? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I didn't really have a lot of research and a lot of information. I had my own story, basically. So, you know, I had to find people that were in the, the that industry. Uh, and I, I happened to uh, meet someone named Cam Adair, who uh, is the founder of Game Quitters, which is one of the largest uh, online video gaming addiction sites worldwide. Mm -hmm. uh, so he helped me with some information. Um, and then I, I put together a PowerPoint presentation based on my story and I spoke and uh, the room was overflowing. There was a huge interest in the subject. And there was someone there from the Center of Addiction in Toronto and someone from the Catholic School Board, a social worker. And they approached me afterwards and said, you, you have to continue to share your story. People need to hear your lived experience is important and you need to get the message out there that this is real uh, and that there's kids out there that need help. And so the following year, which was 2018, I, my son and I both landed in Ottawa at the CAMH Provincial Forum and spoke in front of 140 frontline mental health workers sharing our story. And that morning, uh, the World Health Organization had announced that gaming addiction was an actual disorder. Uh, and so we, that was a huge celebration in the room that day. The timing mm. couldn't have been more perfect. Uh, and so now we knew uh, there would be more research done, the funding would come, and uh, there would be more awareness. And so things just grew from there. And eventually, um, because I was part of the Game Quitters uh, parent forum online on Facebook, and I was, you know, sharing my experiences and sharing what worked for me, parents started reaching out and asking if I would start coaching them. And at first I was... <sighs> I didn't feel like I knew enough. I didn't know if it was something I wanted to step into. Uh, and, you know, I didn't feel like I was the expert. And I was in a network group and we were brainstorming. So they asked someone if they would ask a question in terms of brainstorming. And so I brought that up. 
And someone in the group said to me, you might not be the expert, but you are one of the experts. And hearing that, it's it's settled in very nicely for me and thought, okay, from that angle, I'll do it. And so mm-hmm. I then started coaching parents uh, and, and children online uh, and continue to. And, wow. you know, uh, COVID has made it horrific in terms of uh, gaming addiction increase. And yep. so... Yeah, there's, so there's been a lot more clients reaching out looking for help. Yeah, I and then I, I wrote a second book because the first book wasn't meant to be the video gaming addiction book. <laughs> Turned out to be that, uh, and so I wrote the actual video gaming addiction book uh, and interviewed my son throughout it so that people could get inside the the mind of the the yeah. gaming addict himself and spoke to other experts and psychologists and and did the research and yeah put together yeah. a guide for parents. So that's what I was actually going to ask. So you said you got an SOS email from your son. How did how did it show up to him that he knew that I mean did he even know that he was in over his head? What what happened? What he knew he was on? over his head but he he didn't recognize he had a gaming addiction. He he didn't do well in first year but didn't tell us uh, in university. Came home that summer and said it was great. I did notice he was gaming a lot. He was working part-time. I did approach him and said, you know, I think you need to get a second part-time job. You're doing a lot of gaming. You're staying up late at night. I'm not not happy about that. He was very upset with me and said, you know, this is my last summer free. After this, I'm either going to be in a co-op position working or I'm going to be in school during the summers. And so I just want one last summer. And, you know, against my better judgment, I relented and said, fine. Uh, And he was an adult at that time. So I didn't know what my rights were. Again, I was floundering through that transition. Mm. And uh, he went back to school for second semester and communication dropped off drastically. Uh, The odd time I saw him, he looked like he was starting to lose weight. His hair was greasy, hidden odor about him like he wasn't grooming. Uh, you know, of course, when I asked questions, he said, you know, school's really hard this year and I don't have time, you know, I'm not, yeah, I'll, I'll eat better. And yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll clean myself up. Mm. So they were kind of justifiable answers. And he sort of ran under the radar because of that. Mm. Uh, but he had missed the cutoff date, unbeknownst to me, to register. And so he had been deregistered as a student. So he wasn't going to classes at all. He hadn't gone oh. to classes for two months. And he was, we found out later, literally gaming up to 16 hours a night until he would pass out and sleep all day and then start again. So, you know, access to food in the middle of the night was minimal. So he wasn't eating much, um, definitely wasn't grooming and uh, and wasn't wasn't in school, but pretending he was and living in residence. And what happened was the, the school finally caught up with him after two months and said, you can't live in residence. You're not a, a registered student. Yeah. And so they gave him three days uh, or the locks would be changed. And they said, you know, either we can call your family or actually the school didn't do that. They sent the resident, the resident's head came to him feeling badly thinking, you know, maybe this is a kid that's in trouble yeah. and talked to him and said, you know, I understand the stress that you're feeling. Um, and if you want me to call your parents, I will, or Mm. I'll leave you to do that. And so he said, he sat down and contemplated, you know, all his choices, you know, one of course was to just run, uh, but it was the end of October in, you know, Ontario, (laughs) it's going to be warm for long. Yeah. Um, he thought of taking his life. Uh, and then eventually he had the courage to sit down and send an email. and, And he said it was the hardest thing he's ever done in his life because, He'd been living a double life and been lying about the gaming for years. 
Um, he says now when he looks back, he knows he was a functioning gaming addict when he was in secondary school because he was in a controlled environment at home. But once left on his own, you know, it, the addiction went full blown. So uh, he was basically looking for a place to live and, you know, wow. bail me out of this mom. But I recognized right away. Uh, and I drove to the university. I first picked up the phone and said, what do you need? Mm. Just tell me what you need. Because I knew this wasn't what he was choosing. I yeah. knew by the email that he was in a really fragile mental state. He didn't need me being angry with him. I was so grateful that he trusted me yeah. and that he didn't choose to take his life. And so I drove to the university to pick him up. And uh, well, it was frightening when he opened the door. He's six foot two. He had dropped to 127 pounds. Wow. His bones. And he had facial tics and tremors. His hair was greasy. His eyes were dilated. His skin, which was normally peachy clean, was just a mess of acne. He smelled like he'd been living in his clothes for weeks. Uh, he, he was just awful looking. I, it was terrifying to think that an addiction like that could create those kinds of symptoms. Yeah. Uh, and so I brought him home and we started the journey. I said immediately, you know, you will remove all gaming from your computer. Uh, we will start a full detox. It was really difficult. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, he was experiencing the same kind of withdrawal. Anybody coming off of drugs and alcohol would, you know, mm -hmm. he was agitated and depressed and uh, had difficulty sleeping. We were trying to get him to a, a sleep awake cycle that was back to normal because he'd been up all night. So I thought I'll take him to my fitness classes mm -hmm. and maybe some exercise will help raise the dopamine level um, or replace some of that dopamine he was getting from gaming and elevate his mood. Um, and so he, he agreed to do that. We got him, you know, eating healthy. I took him to the doctors. He was of course diagnosed with severe anxiety and depression. And he got him into a counselor. And so, you know, the, the next eight weeks basically were spent in detox and getting him some help with a counselor. But he was still in denial about the addiction. And so, of course, he manipulated the therapist. And um, he uh, said that he would be ready to go back to school in second semester and pick up those, those three credits he'd, he'd failed in first year so that he wouldn't fall behind two years. He'd just be behind a year. And he said he felt ready. Uh, so we dropped him off on a Sunday night, which was probably the worst thing we could have done. We probably should have dropped him off on Monday morning when classes started. He opened his computer and believing that he'd had eight weeks of uh, therapy, he could just play for an hour. And he played all night again. And I had that bad gut feeling again. And so I went to check on him uh, the first weekend. And when I opened the door, when he opened the door, I realized that he had completely relapsed again. Oh, goodness. Again. Yeah. So had another long talk at home about, you know, his lack of confidence in the program, uh, his anxiety. Uh, I asked him, do you still want to be in university right now? You don't have to be. You can do mm -hmm. a gap year. We can come up with a different plan. And he thought about it and said, no, I, I still want to be in university. No, this is what I want to do. And I said, OK, then sky's the limit. What do you need? What do you need from me? I will put my business on hold. And he thought about that and said, I need you to drive me to school and walk me to classes until I can do it on my own. So there I was wow. driving my 19-year-old adult son an hour to the university, literally walking him to class, waiting outside class for him, 
walking him to the next class, uh, taking lunch breaks, you know, driving home. Uh, but before I did that, I took him on the very first day to uh, student services at the university and begged for help there mm. uh, and said, you know, here's the situation. He's off campus on residence, a 13 minute walk away. I don't think it's a good environment for him. So they moved him back on campus to residence, uh, which he wasn't staying there originally anyway, because I was driving him. But we knew he would he would get back to residence. They gave him a therapist, a special needs advisor, and a peer support person. The University of Guelph were tremendously helpful. Mm. Uh, and so we we drove and walked to classes for several weeks wow. until he felt like he could start doing it on his own. And then he was required to send me uh, an email with a photo of himself in the lecture hall or the classroom each time. So he had accountability and he had to come home on weekends. And uh, that lasted, you know, like I said, two and a half years of relapse, detox, denial, relapse before he finally recognized that it was getting in the way of him towards the goals he had. And oh my he, goodness. he chose to stop. So how did you look after yourself in all of this? Girlfriends, girlfriends, girlfriends. Really? <laughs> Honestly, they saved my life. Yeah. I continued to do my fitness. I continued to play tennis. Uh, and I relied on the support of my beautiful circle of female friends. Wow. Um, yeah. Uh, I, my eating was continued to be healthy. My spiritual belief uh, remained intact. Um, I knew that I had to be strong because he wasn't. And so mm. I was willing to do whatever it took to maintain my own, uh, you know, mental and physical strength. So yeah, girlfriends. <laughs> wow, that's a really well, that's a lovely story because so many of the women that I talk to have had some history of really struggling with female friends because although when you do have a support network of female friends, it's fantastic. There is something I don't know whether it's with younger women or a more competitive phase in your life or whatever that some people can really question their female friendships. So it's lovely to hear that you found I do not strength. question any of mine. I absolutely love and adore them all. I'm so grateful to have them in my life. My dedication in my first book was to my girlfriends. I said, I dedicate this to my girlfriends. They save my life Aww. every day. Yeah, it was a girlfriend who said to me, you, one girlfriend said, you cannot do this alone. Go to student services and get help. You can't do this on your own. This is too big. Hmm. Another girlfriend would check in and say, who's mothering the mother? Are you yes. okay? Yeah, because that was really important for me. Um, yeah, even though they didn't understand the addiction, they loved my son and they knew he hmm. was in trouble. And so, you know, they were learning as I was learning and they were fully supportive. And, you know, they, they knew if I was at a dinner or out with them, my phone had to be very close because, you know, sometimes I literally had to walk, uh, talk Jake off the wall, you mm -hmm. know, and, and go or go get him or listen to him rant. You know, I always had to be available for him because, you know, uh, his mental health was really suffering. Mm. And that was your commitment that you'd made to him. Yeah. And my girlfriends were all supportive of that. You know, go. Yeah. Whatever you need, whatever he needs, you know, we're here yeah. to support you. Wow. That's yeah. Fantastic to hear. So the part in writing the first book, because you started with your intention to write a first book, as you say, about more about parenting an adult child. Yeah. And and then how did that then sort of change into what it became? 
Well, like I said, I was someone from Mindfest had read it and said, you know, you talk a lot about video gaming in this book. Would you be willing to come and talk about it? Uh, and then after I met Cam Adair, he was thrilled that there was a book from the mom side because he is a former gaming addict himself. He, he got to the point where he n- did nearly take his life before he asked for help. Um, and so he actually put the book on his uh, website to be available for parents. Yeah. And then it grew into the video gaming addiction story. Wow. And then that moved mm-hmm. into a second book, Cyber Sober. And that moved into the second book. Yeah. I remember my editor saying after the first book, it's a lovely story, but you know, you need research and you need to talk to therapists and you need to turn this into a how-to book. And oh. I really didn't feel like I had enough expertise to do so. All I had was my story. Uh, and so I remember calling upon her when I wrote the second book and said, okay, I'm going to write that book that you told me to write the first time. <laughs> and so she edited me through that process. Oh, that book fantastic. actually is in some colleges and universities as a recommended read in psych classes. Yeah, I saw and a post that you did about that. Well, my son and I just did a module together for the University of Toronto uh, for the Psych 101 class. They used the CTVW5 documentary that we were in. Uh, to teach them about this behavioral addiction in the class. But the second half of the module is my son and I in an interview with the professor talking about how university students need to be helping each other. Because uh, after I did a presentation um, at forjack.org, this professor happened to be in the audience and said to me, you know, what's the message you want me to bring back? I have 1,600 students. And I said, To me, the biggest message was my son was in residence, living with two other adult men. He was starving himself. He wasn't bathing. He wasn't attending classes. And at no point did either one of those young men say, hey, man, are you okay? We're a little concerned about you. Or go and say to someone, no one. No one said a word. And so I think that as students, you go off to university and you're trying to prove that you're an adult. So you're not checking in with mom and dad as much. And mom and dad are trying to give you some space and not be too invasive because you're an adult. Professors, he's got 1,600 students in his class. He's not going to catch everything. Mm. But students know students. And they live with each other. And they don't know how to approach each other. They don't know how to help each other. But they're the perfect person to help one another. Mm. And so in that module, we talk about what can be done. Um, And if you don't feel like you can approach the person, at least go and speak to somebody in the student services or a professor who could speak to that. And so we launched that in November. And in January, I received an email from the professor saying, it's working. We just had, I just had a group of students come to me to tell me that an international student who's, you know, not making the grades and is worried and and struggling mental health and they're afraid of, you know, some self-harm have come to me and we were able to go and speak to the student and and direct them to the help they needed. So if I do nothing else with this in my life, that is the legacy I want to leave behind is that we are helping students learn how to help each other because the average age of a video gaming addict is an adult male between 18 and 25. And a lot of the kids I'm coaching, I say kids, they're adults, um, have dropped out a first year or struggling with first year, or haven't even made it into first year. That's that, that 
entrance into adulthood is a big, big struggle. And video gaming becomes a coping mechanism when they they don't know what to do or how to handle these adult situations they're really not prepared to handle. And so that module now is going to be available in universities across Ontario and then across Canada. Wow. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. So I'm really proud of that work. And Jake, my son, is really proud to have been part of that work as well, because I think that's the missing link, because Jake didn't realize he needed help. So he Mm. didn't know to go and ask someone. And his roommates, minding their own business and not knowing really what to do, didn't approach him. And could have. Yeah, he could have gotten the help a lot sooner. Yeah, absolutely. My goodness. So you now do work with Jake. The two of you go and speak at places. and I do it mostly on my own. Right. Occasionally, Jake. Jake graduated uh, three years ago. Uh, he's a software engineer. He's got a, job, a great job and lives on his own in the city. Um, he's been detoxed four and a half years now, uh, which is fantastic. Um, so he will speak to me occasionally. We both still do speak with Cam H because, you know, they started us on this journey. Um, and, uh, occasionally he'll do a podcast interview or a TV interview with me, but mostly it's me speaking. Right. Fair enough. He supports it. He supports me sharing his story. Which is hugely courageous for both of you. Yeah. I don't like that word. (laughs) You don't? Okay. Fair enough. I think we have a social obligation to help each other. That's what we're put on this earth for. And if we use the word, I know people say courage all the time. Um, But to me, if you attach the word courage, you continue to add the stigma. If we have to be courageous to share, then we we haven't released the stigma yet. And I really, truly believe that we have a social obligation to just share our stories to help one another. Um, So I don't think I'm I'm being brave whatsoever. I think I was brave sending a book out there. I felt like I was releasing my diary. That took courage. Uh, But sharing the story, to me, I I think that's what we should be doing. Which is cool. I mean, I ask people to share their stories on the podcast all the time. So to me, it's absolutely natural. And that's how we learn from each other. That's how we, as you say, we build the fabric of society. Yeah, absolutely. But as you say, there is still a stigma. People see being honest. There is. And there is this, you know, whole sort of, I don't know, I want to say just fashionable image of vulnerability. It's like, uh, no, just speak, speak up. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, this is why kids are in university not recognizing they need help, because we're not talking enough about it. We're not talking enough about anything, about the mental health, about sexual health. Right. Yeah. About everything. Because I'm not quite sure why people are hiding so much. Like, what are we hiding from? Because we're all experiencing it. Of course, yeah. So I yeah, I I I think it's quite interesting when you start looking at it from this perspective. I'm slightly off topic. When you start looking at it from this perspective, what is it that we are talking about that is helping to improve the quality of our life? And if these are all the topics that we're hiding behind, what the heck are we talking about? I mean, we're talking about the weather and food. Yeah. And I'm sorry. Yeah, that's exactly what we're talking about. My friend, I actually, I actually purchased, I purchased these um, cotton napkins that actually have meaningful questions on them. Right. So that when I have dinner parties at the end of the dinner, people 
read their question and answer and we have discussions because I was so tired of going to dinner parties and sitting for two hours listening to people talk about wine and wine regions. And like, oh my God, we, I agree. Totally. Can we learn about each other? But that's the thing. We we choose safe subjects so we don't have to reveal parts of ourselves. Yes. And right. I like having people reveal parts of themselves, ugly, beautiful. It doesn't matter. It's who you are. And I want to know the core of who you are. Um, so yeah, we are talking about surface stuff because it, we believe it keeps us safe. Oh, but it also keeps us so bland. <laughs> well, and it doesn't get us help when we need it. No, that's the thing. It's so it, it's almost as if there's something shameful about asking for help. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, why do we need to do any of this all on our own? Yeah. Yeah, we have each other. I know. So I love that you're sharing this story. Thank you so much. And although we are getting, you know, quite into what we would normally talk about in the podcast, I really see this actually as a very helpful resource. So I would love, um, if it's okay with you, if you are happy to share what are some basic things? Because you say it's happening in high school age. What are oh, some yeah, it's basic primary age as well, well, especially now? So, what is it? What are the symptoms that uh, people really need to kind of just Watch keep, out for? Yeah, to, yeah, look out for, be aware of, and then also at the end, how can people get hold of you, Elaine, to work with? Yeah, obsessive, uh, you know, conversation and drive for video gaming. If you, that's all your child's talking about, all they want to do. Uh, one of the signs, um, not being able to regulate and get off the game when they need to. They just continue to play for hours and hours. Uh, giving up some of their other activities that they used to enjoy. Uh, stop seeing their friends, their tangible friends, and they're only meeting people online. Uh, not engaging in family um, events any longer. Uh, you know, a battleground when you do ask them to put the game away and they're, mm -hmm. you know, screaming. Some become despondent, some become violent or irritable, a change in sleep patterns because, you know, they're sneaking it and they're up late at night and then they're unable to wake in the morning. Uh, so there's a lot of the signs to look for. Um, yeah. A school grades as well. When school grades start slipping, that's another mm -hmm. thing to look at. And so is this just screen usage or is this video gaming specifically? Yeah. Those are the signs for video gaming addiction specifically. Okay. I mean, screen is similar you know there's there's, there's a lot more uh females uh probably addicted to screens than video games because more males uh, become addicted to video gaming although we are seeing an increase in in females as well now but i mean the symptoms would be similar mm -hmm. okay and so what's the best way for people to find out about this and then also as i say to contact you elaine if they need to well, the, the, if you go to my website, elaineuskoski.com, um, there is in the resource section a PDF with the nine signs that you can look at. Okay. There's also extra resources there. Uh, people can contact me. Uh, and you can do a 15-minute um, free consult with me to ask questions about coaching and ask questions about you know whether you think your child needs the services of coaching. Mm -hmm. uh, book uh, cyber sober a caregiver's guide to video gaming is available uh, also on the site uh, and i'm also available to speak at uh, schools and uh, mental health events okay fantastic and then what about i mean do you have do you even have time to be on social media are you on any oh social i'm on media? social media 
yeah. on which are your favorites? I'm on Instagram. Okay. I'm on, uh, face- I have a Facebook page as well, uh, specifically for the video gaming. I think it's called Video Gaming Parent Support, Video okay. Gaming Addiction Parent Support. Um, also tap into gamequitters.com. Okay. Uh, I also partnered up with Intent to Clinical Training for Gaming Disorder. I, I did that course uh, two years ago, I think now. Uh, very comprehensive, probably one of the best courses any practitioner could take in terms of learning more about uh, video gaming addiction. So if, you know, and we definitely need more therapists and coaches in this industry because it's it's growing. We need, yeah, we need so many more therapists and coaches because COVID, first of all, has, you know, isolated people and they've all gravitated towards their, their digital devices and gaming uh, kid. That's sometimes the only way kids could keep in touch with each other was through, you know, their friends on, on gaming. Uh, And so, yeah, we definitely need more help uh, because the video gaming industry is not going away. It's worth billions and billions of dollars. uh, And we need to learn how to help children regulate it. Yeah. Well, Elaine, thank you so much. This has been so very helpful. First of all, it's lovely to connect back with you. I'm glad that you've just, you know, tuned straight into this mission. And obviously, I'm just so sorry that you had to go through it in the first place. But as you say, now you can leave an incredible legacy of helping so many more families. Thank you. Yeah, that's the plan. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Thank you so much, Elaine. Thanks, Lindsay. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you've enjoyed the conversation, please come and leave a review. If you go to the Apple Podcasts app and scroll down to the bottom of the podcast page, and then you'll find the ratings and review section. Please invite your friends to come and listen by sharing the link. And you can join the conversation and let me know who you'd like to hear interviewed and what topics you'd like discussed over at Facebook on the Magical Midlife group. You can also find me on Instagram at Lindsay DeSwart, where the conversation will also continue. I can't wait to see you on the next episode. And once again, keep living your magical midlife.